In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Tokenet Radio, Toki Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Happy are those who find wisdom. Her income is better than silver and her revenue better than gold. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called happy. Proverbs 3, verses 13 and 18. Wisdom can't be found as in a game of hide and seek. She, and I love the fact that wisdom is a female noun, is the result of a lifetime of knowledge and experiences used with common sense, applied with good judgment. A wise person, we're told, knows himself. A wise person is sincere. A wise person's actions are consistent with her ethical beliefs. Having children brings wisdom as a mother, as a mother, and I had to slow down my knee-jerk judgments and gather together all the information before passing sentence. I usually found a complaining child had brought about the injustice done to him or her. As a homeschooling mother, I had plenty of opportunities to teach about giving wisdom a chance to be found, using common sense versus impetuousness. Instant gratification and wisdom seldom walk hand in hand. Wisdom's not always easy, but like everything else that brings pleasantness and peace, when her gold mine of jewels, long life, riches and honor are yours for the taking, then you will indeed be happy. Think about it. We're the seeds of wisdom sown in our children's hearts, one grain at a time. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. It's the autumn equinox today, which means there's almost as much daylight as darkness. From there on, daylight starts getting pushed out. Are you ready for the nights to draw in? I'm not. My guest today is returning for a second round with me, Deborah Bell. She was on my ninth show all the way back in March of last year. She's a speaker for Apologia Live events, and we're going to talk about distance learning and homeschooling teens, among other things. I have news on Malia's school, our son's upcoming trip, Funyuns, ironing, a joke, and letter writing. So get your breakfast or your afternoon tea, depending on where you are in your day. I'm ready to go. And ready or not, we're losing nearly four minutes of daylight a day at the moment. A couple in the morning and a couple in the evening. By the time my son arrives in two weeks, it'll be getting dark a whole 30 minutes earlier than this evening. I grew up with this massive drop in daylight and I'm sure my body will automatically adjust. It's my brain that's rebelling and pumping in the depression chemicals to send my spirits plummeting. How do people live and thrive in Alaska or Norway? We were walking home through the graveyard last night and I commented to my protector and blue-eyed cowboy, I think I'd rather stick to the main roads now that it's getting so dark. 
He was relieved, no knowing who or what we may meet in a cemetery. Well, my daughter's first few weeks, well, she's been there too, at College of Gomwell. Did I tell you she got a job? She works at a family-run French restaurant where she's learning how to wait on tables and serve behind the bar. Two skills in one. Her digs, as everyone calls their student accommodations, are in the middle of a residential road. And when she turns right out of the gate, she heads to school, a minute away at the bottom. And when she turns left out of the gate, she goes to work, a minute away at the top. How convenient is that? She began by sending all her family daily emails about the cold she'd caught and the sitting around while assessments were being made. By the end of the first week, we'd had two updates, and when I asked her during a phone call where her third and fourth and fifth updates were, she said, Oh, I had to stop. I mean, where would it end? Hello, this is update number 835. Well, it's a really good job her college is purely performing arts. I have to reluctantly admit that at the moment, writing is not her preferred form of expression. Well, maybe Facebook posts and texting. One of the guest teachers this week, she told us, was a man named Matt Miles. He was the winner of Britain's Got Talent and is now the choreographer for Strictly Come Dancing. She was impressed, and so was he, apparently. Her ballet teacher is in Billy Elliot in the West End, and she got seven of her top students' tickets to the show last night, so guess where Malia was? And one of her singing teachers just got a part in Wicked, which is her dream show. On the downside, she's missed the auditions for local pantomimes, but she is having a lot of fun and says there's no actual homework except for finding music to sing to denote a particular character from a show or something equally as academically exhausting. And on the home front, well, we're busy. We have no distractions, so I'm spending um, many hours working on the last three chapters of my homeschooling book. So hopefully soon we'll be back to excerpts. For the future, I'm working on getting some graduated homeschoolers together on the show to talk about how they view being educated at home and whether they thought the experience brought them closer to their families. And then on the theatre front, we went a little bit crazy this week. Both of our local theatres had plays going on at the same time. So on Monday, we were at the bar in front of house for the tiny one around the corner. That was a lot of fun because the auditorium only seats 40 and we were able to take time to speak to and get to know most of the audience. We did intermission pre-ordered drinks and I made tea and coffee in the kitchen while my Texan cowboyed the bar. After the show, the bar stayed open and we were there for another hour chatting to the actors and serving drinks. We went back last night as patrons. The play was called A Woman in Mind by Alan Ackbourne and it was excellent. They put a pantomime on at Christmas, and I'm going to help with the auditions. The cast list is an impressive 20-plus. That's half the audience size. I'll be more than interested to see how that works. And then we went to a play in Bromley called The Pitman Painters, making it circuit before going to the West End. It was about miners in the mid-30s who wanted to further their education by hiring professors to teach night classes. As the title suggests, the play was about how some of the miners went on to be really creative painters. There were a couple of people who were at the Beckenham Theatre on Monday that we'd spoken to, and theatre certainly keeps the world small. 
I've had time to design and order two sets of memorial cards for my mother. The first set were wrong entirely, my fuzzy-headed fault, so I had to reorder them. For my research, I came across some photos of her when she was a little older than I am now. She was glowing and youthful-looking, I take after her, and with her carefully blended blonde hair... And um, there she was holding one of my babies. I found another photo of her radiantly smiling as usual at the baptismal at the baptism of my brother's first son, barely seven years later. And she hardly looked like the same woman. This time there was no denying she was an old age pensioner, as they call seniors here. I asked my trusty cowboy why he thought she appeared to have grown so old in just seven short years, or at least why all of a sudden she looked her age. She stopped colouring her hair, he observed, with the astuteness of men and toddlers, and he was right. Do you have grey hair and cover it? Well, I have to admit, I do. I've been slowly going grey since I was 20, and I really couldn't see myself as a grey-haired young thing then. Be fair, I wasn't even married. Henna used to work well for me, but the red looks a wee bit too young for my complexion these days. And across the decades, the camouflaging of the grey so that it blends so well into the lively and natural light brown locks I have is a habit that's stuck. Hair colour's the fountain of youth for us ladies. Now, I'll promise you that as soon as my face starts to look as if it needs grey hair, I'll go au natural. But until then, forgive me for helping the few grey hairs on my head to fit in with their light brown neighbours. Sadly, for those of us who insist on fighting the ageing effects... It's to no avail when we're in the company of our contemporaries. The truth will out, as this little story will tell. My son works on alternate Sundays at a church at their, as their sound engineer. It's a young church founded by homeschooling friends of ours. Our families have an explosive history, but that's another story. The average adult age in this blossoming church is around 30. If you include all the children, it would drop to around 18. Yes, lots of babies and toddlers. At the invitation of our son, we went to their early service, 9.30, middle of the um, day for us greybacks. And during what was supposed to be a friendly coffee hour, afterwards, the husband portion of our friends turned to us and said, You raised the average age of our congregation this morning by about 30 years. It was good to see some grey hairs out there. Bloomin' cheek. Strictly speaking, I suppose I am a grey hair by association only, though. Maybe I should buy my handsome cowboy some hair colour. Why do men look so distinguished? I'm much, much more handsome when they turn grey, and we just look older. Well, while I'm thinking of my mum, may she rest in peace, I discovered some tablecloths of hers. Yes, I'm still cleaning out. Goodness, thank goodness, I'm glad their house isn't any larger. The remarkable thing about these tablecloths is that they were all beautifully ironed, probably by her, and neatly stacked away in the airing cupboard. My mum was an ironer. I'd see her each day get out the board, fill her iron up with water, and attach the cord organiser to one side, and off she'd go, dashing away with her smoothing iron. Other days she'd get out the massive tabletop machine for larger pieces pieces of linen like sheets and towels. Yes, towels. She ironed socks. Did you know there was a special way to iron them to avoid a crease down the middle? The technique is similar to sleeve ironing. I avoid this housewifely duty at all costs. There are many other ways to occupy empty afternoons by moving furniture or reading Gone with the Wind. But did I have to hunt down? I had to hunt down and retrieve this favourite device of my mother's to iron out the creases in my curtains at my 
text and was preparing to hang in the lounge. I set my weapons in the hallway, one of the larger empty spaces in the flat, which lends itself to unobstructed ironing, and Malia sat on the Victorian settle to visit and marvel, and her marvelling went like this. Do you think everyone irons their curtains before hanging them? Well, they'd have to, to get rid of the package increases, I said, for this was the only reason I could give for being caught behind the board. Won't they just hang out, she wondered? I wish, I said, but I didn't want to try it, because if they didn't hang out, then I'd have to take them down and iron them anyway. Now, if I had a steamer, that would be another matter. In truth, hardly anything that I wash today needs ironing. All that lovely man-made material blended with the cotton cuts all those wrinkles. And I've got to go on a break. And when I get back, I'll be talking to my guest, um, Deborah Bell. So go away and get yourself another cup of tea as I'm going to and come back in about 90 seconds after these messages. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. How to invest, where to invest, where to save, where to get the right insurance, what to do about taxes. Should I relocate my business or ever purchase a property? That's where Go To My Radio Show comes in. Join host Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Choose the right financial professional and learn more about the products and services while learning the terminology and strategies used by these professionals. Go To My Radio Show is unbiased and Chris Holt, your host, will ask the hard questions and take calls to help you connect with the right professional who can help you better handle your financial and business choices. Go to my radio show is not a financial services company and does not offer any financial advice, but we will help you make the right choice when it comes to planning your financial future. And most of all, choosing the right program and the right professional for you. Go to my radio show with Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on go to my radio show.com. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
Well, I'm back, and my guest today is Deborah Bell, who used to be a public school teacher until she discovered John Holt. She went on to homeschool her four children for 18 years, and they all grew up in college and got jobs. This week, she's taking time out from her busy schedule to join me and talk about teen homeschoolers and the digital age. Deborah speaks at the Apologia Live Retreats, where homeschooling mums go for the weekend to be encouraged. Since retiring from teaching at home, she's been working towards her PhD in educational psychology, ever curious about how children learn. She's the author of those ultimate books, The Ultimate Guide to Homeschooling, The Ultimate Guide to Homeschooling Teens, and most recently, The Ultimate Planning System from Apologia. She's involved in her local homeschool community and loves to share her expertise, candor, and wit at conferences and seminars, and right here on my show. Welcome back, Deborah. Thank you, Vivian. It's nice to be with you. Well, good. How are you? Great. Great. Um, Good. It's not too early in the morning, I hope? uh, No. It's a dreary day here in Pennsylvania, but uh, I've been up for quite a few hours working with my homeschool students that I uh, work with in an online environment. Oh, really? Well, before we talk about that... um, as I said earlier on in my show, you um, were with me like way back on like my ninth show. So that's a long time ago. So um, I've got lots of new listeners since then. So I'd like to sort of remind them a little bit about um, who you are and um, how you got into homeschooling and where John Holt sort of fitted into the picture. Um, I was uh, teaching public school originally and I uh, found an article by John Holt in Mother Earth News in the high school library that I read during my planning period, mm-hmm. uh, and that I had never heard of homeschooling, and it, it definitely piqued my interest because uh, at the same time I was teaching gifted students uh, and really flummoxed by how many of them uh, found school uh very irrelevant to their lives, and they had lost their curiosity and interest in learning, and I just wondered, you know, I was beginning to wonder, um, you know, is there something about the way that we educate students in the U.S. that contributes to their lack of engagement in learning? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, from reading that article by John Holt, shortly after that I got married and quickly became pregnant and had my... Um, Twins were my firstborn, were twin boys, and I started going uh, to homeschooling meetings that were very uh, informal back in the day, you know, just in people's Mm -hmm. homes and got involved that way. Mm -hmm. So you say you live in Pennsylvania now. Is this in Pennsylvania when this happened? Uh, Yes, born and raised, lived here my entire life, Uh, was part of the process that made it legal to homeschool in Pennsylvania. Oh, really? Really? Okay, well, we'll talk about that in a, in a, in a minute. Um, now, I'm guessing, though, that the article that you read by John Holt wasn't actually particularly a typical homeschooling article. It was more of a tirade against what are we doing with our children in these institutions, right? Uh, yes. Um, John Holt, you know, started out as a public school teacher, and I, I was an English teacher, and it's funny because he was often a, a speaker at uh, national conferences held by the National Council of Teachers of English. And I do remember a colleague of mine coming back from the national conference and just saying John Holt had gone off the deep end. So that's why I read the article when I then ran into it in Mother Earth News. I'm like, oh, somebody was just 
you know, talking about mm-hmm. that he's a crackpot now or a nutcase. Mm-hmm. And I read the article um, and I realized that this is why he had been advocating home education way back there in the 70s at this conference mm-hmm. of public school teachers. Uh, but, yeah, he basically was a reformer who came to the conclusion that schools were a dangerous place for children. And mm-hmm. he was now – the title of the article was Teach Your Own. Teach Your Own. Okay. Um, what was it? Um one of his books because when I, I went to teach training college and we had to read all of his books and um oh i can't remember what what one of them was you know t- um teaching your child despite school or something like that and uh the whole home group home school movement here in england or the secular side of it anyway is um all very heavy john holt although unschooling was not what he meant by I mean, unschooling today is not what he meant back then. It was more get your kids out of school and, and you know, school them at home rather than the way they're, they're talking about it more today. But anyway, yes, um, his, he was, uh, yes, uh, uh, a radical in education, but very interesting, I thought. Yes, and you're right. He's misunderstood and misapplied. People need to go mm-hmm. back and read. Uh, he wrote uh, Why Children Fail, Why Children Learn. Children Learn, that's uh, right. And yeah. teach, your, yeah. teach Your Own. So, yes, you're right. He wanted to detox kids by taking them out of school, but he would not support um, bringing our children home and then just allowing the child to have complete autonomy in terms of when and if he learns. Uh, He did believe in structure. Yes, yes. All right, so now we're back to um, you have your first children and you're going to these um, informal um, homeschooling meetings and um, you were, were part of the movement that um, encouraged or allowed homeschooling to be um, legal in, in Pennsylvania back then, which, of course, it's legal in every state in America now, thank goodness. And so talk a little bit about um, some of the struggles that you, you faced. Yes, originally it was illegal in Pennsylvania, and I was a certified teacher, and my local superintendent did uh, say to me, uh, I could homeschool my twins for kindergarten because I had a teaching certificate, Um, Mm -hmm. but we would... would, take it on a year-by-year basis, and he, he said nobody else can because they don't have a teaching certificate. Right. So um, I got involved with, I wasn't one of the leaders, I just was a follower who showed up at meetings um, with others in our state who were taking leadership and working with our legislature. And that's pretty much what we did for kindergarten. My twins were at the Capitol about once a month there uh, until we um, had a marvelous victory. That was a unanimous vote. I don't know if anything like that has happened since. Both sides of the House and the Senate, across party lines, uh, unanimously voted in favor of the, the law that legalized homeschooling in Pennsylvania. Mm, well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And um, I, I have friends in Texas who were kind of at the... Um, you know, sort of trailblazing um, um, part of homeschooling. And, you know, they did it thinking, knowing that they, they ran the risk of being put into jail for not sending their children to school. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for, you know, working hard to get it legal like that. It's hard to be, yes, it's hard to I imagine people who are choosing homeschooling today, left and right, it's hard mm-hmm. to imagine um, what it was back like then, except 
Um, I don't know what the situation is in particular in England, but you know in Europe uh, it's very similar to what we endured back in the early 80s Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. uh, folks really running the risk of being jailed or fined um, or having their children taken away if they homeschool. But um, I'm really think that's going to change. I really think that the tables are turning and it's viewed as a democratic ideal and that parents do have a right to educate their children as they see fit. I think that mm-hmm. transcends even, you know, U.S. borders and is an international sentiment that uh, uh, folks who love freedom and democratic ideals see that's part of that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's move on a little bit and tell us about what you're doing now. You're, are you close to finishing your PhD? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, this week I uh, became a doctoral candidate, which means that my study's been approved. And uh, right now I'm just uh, waiting for the International Review Board at Temple University, where I'm getting my PhD to approve the protocol for my study, and I'll start collecting data Next month, so I'm very excited about it and uh, was very um, pleased with how supportive uh, the faculty at Temple uh, is of my study, Vivian. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thinking that it's going to turn out to be very meaningful, and I hope not just, you know, your run-of-the-mill dissertation, but a study of homeschoolers that gathers information about what homeschoolers are like today. I'm looking looking at the diversity and trying to capture a picture of what the modern homeschool movement looks like now because a lot of our um, data and a lot of our research is from clear back in the 80s, and there's been mm-hmm. such change in who homeschools uh, today. Yes, and, and how they homeschool. I mean, I was – my children, there are six years of – uh, you know, difference from their old, the oldest to the youngest. And I sent my oldest to college and there weren't cell phones, um, emails and texting and all that kind of stuff. And then my youngest one, six years later, is in the middle of all of that. And I'm just amazed that that's just six years. So what what's, what's happened in the last 20 or 30 years? Yes, absolutely. And I'm asking parents to tell me how they homeschool. That's what we're trying to get a picture of is what are parents doing, what are their teaching strategies, and what is the diversity of teaching strategies. I'm, I'm hoping to get a, um, a picture that shows there's a lot of innovation and experimentation going on. Because here in the States, everybody um, in a traditional setting is under no child left behind, which is a very restrictive environment for teachers. You know, good teachers in the classroom have very little range in terms of what they can do to modify their program to support children's individual needs, but we as homeschoolers have been exempted because, again, of uh, the legal battle that was fought. We're exempted from No Child Left Behind. So we have had all of this opportunity, Um, and so I'm hoping to find that we've used this opportunity to really figure out how to support children's motivation and their achievement. And um, when you talk at the Apologia Live events, um, you're talking um, to homeschoolers. Are are you able to glean material in in that forum? Oh, you mean when I go to the live, will I be able to collect data? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. Yes, 
Yes. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm waiting for permission for. You have to, you know, you can't oh. go out and do a research project without permission mm-hmm. from the university. Oh. Okay. Um, so, yes, as soon as I get permission, then I'll be able to broadly announce all different forms. I do want to reach homeschoolers mm-hmm. across the spectrum uh, and mm-hmm. try to represent our diversity, and I will send them a link to an online survey that I'm asking them to participate in where they will tell us about their experience as a homeschooler. So, I mean, I know I, as a homeschool mom, wished I could have had a voice and that somebody wanted to hear my story. So I'm hoping that's what I'm going to tap. Okay, Deborah, we need to go on a short break now, but when we come back, we will continue talking. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for Officer Radio every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern only on Officer.com. It's powered by the worldwide resources of Officer.com and hosted by Editor-in-Chief of Officer.com and 30-year law enforcement veteran Frank Borelli. Officer.com is your source for the latest news, trends, and issues facing the law enforcement community, which change almost daily. New regulations, new things to know about that affect all in law enforcement. Join us each week as Officer Borelli and his guests examine, dissect, and discuss the issues facing our industry. Call in live and join the conversation to get your voice heard. For more law enforcement news and more about the show, go to officer.com. You can even find us on Facebook and Twitter. Then join us live every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on officer.com. Attention parents and teachers. Here is a series of alarming yet true facts about the current state of teaching reading in the United States. The federal government has spent close to half a trillion dollars to improve reading ability, and yet we still have over 8 million students who cannot read on grade level. 440,000 students who have a total reading vocabulary of 50 words or less, and a national dropout rate of one new student every 26 seconds. Sadly, one of these could be yours. Fortunately, it's not too late to help. Introducing The Reading Show with Dr. Joe, a fast-paced, highly informative, easy-to-listen-to show led by nationally recognized reading authority, Dr. Joe Lakovich. For more on Joe on the show, check out his website, failurefreeonline.com. Listen in this week to learn amazingly simple ways to turn this problem around. The Reading Show with Dr. Joe, with your host, Dr. Joe Lakovich, Fridays at 10 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Deborah, just as we were going on break, you said that you had wished that if you could have had a voice when you were homeschooling, um, you know, you, you would have had a lot to um, contribute. Um, what what sort of things were um, you experiencing during your homeschooling years? Because it's not been that long. How, lo- how long have you been sort of not homeschooling? Three years? 
A uh, little longer than that. All four of my kids are now uh, college graduates. Two are, have graduate degrees, and they're all married. So it's been, let's see, five years because my, my youngest got married um, right after she graduated from college. Um, and I had a voice, obviously, in the homeschool community. I've been speaking for the past 20 years, but what I'm referring to is uh, a voice beyond that, that these, these moms, Vivian, I believe, they have a story to tell that's very relevant to the current conversation about education in general in this country. Uh, our schools are failing. The achievement gap is growing. And the solutions we've tried have seemed to only make matters worse. And I'm arguing that um, professional teachers and educators and people who care about kids in this country ought to look at what the homeschool community has done. What incredible results these for the large part, non-credentialed parents have had in homeschooling their kids. Maybe they're doing something right that we could learn from in the larger society, and that's kind of the target of my dissertation study. And, um, okay, we had a little bit of a, um, a, a staticky thing going on there, so I didn't completely um, hear everything that you said, so forgive me if I repeat myself here, but... Um, so today, um, what sort of um, tools do homeschoolers have that perhaps they didn't have when you first started? Well, first of all, the Internet, just online tools, free on to online tools are fabulous. There mm -hmm. is there's free courseware. You can go to Academic Earth and listen to uh, university lectures by preeminent scholars for free. You can go to Khan Academy where this um, just altruistic uh, gentleman is putting up great little tutorials for uh, kids to watch in the uh, in the areas of science and math, and that's free. Um, and there's online classes being offered. I, I teach advanced placement, which is college-level courses for high school students online. I've done that for the past 10 years. So um, that's why, you know, homeschooling is, is not slowing down the rate at which uh, families are trying it is only increasing, and it's because uh, we have resources available to us at our fingertips that really do make it doable. The, the mom and the dad can just be facilitators and draw together these marvelous resources Hello. that are available, predominantly online, that we can mm -hmm. take advantage of as homeschool parents. And um, I was going to ask you about that because um, a lot of parents say, well, I can't homeschool my teens, so I'm going to just put them back into school. And um, I know somewhere I read that you said, well, you're probably not equipped to, homes uh, you know, to homeschool your teens as they're getting in the, in the um, higher grades. But you learn alongside them. And by the time they're ready to go to college, you know so much. And obviously... I did too, with more children coming along the line, the, the younger ones kind of um, benefited from what I had learned along with my older one. Um, so, you know, today, how do we, you know, keep our teens interested and how do we keep abreast of the times with our teens? I think we do need to be honest with them that it's going to be an adventure and it's an opportunity if we're Christians to see um, God's faithfulness faithfulness demonstrated. We learn alongside our teens. 
needs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and where we are not uh, confident that we understand a subject area well enough to teach it, we barter with other homeschool families. My girlfriend taught my kids science, and I taught her kids English. I mean, there, we need to facilitate um, and find the experts or find the resources. There's wonderful curriculum you can use with, that has a teaching component as a part of it. So uh, it just takes a little time to put mm-hmm. together the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but God will def- definitely show himself to be faithful in the process, and that's really the exciting part. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of your um, topics for uh, one of your seminars is uh, um, something about jump-starting your um, young, you know, getting them motivated to learn. You know, you've got a child that really doesn't want to do something and maybe finding out why, you know, what their problem is instead of, um, you know, just, I don't know, throwing your hands up in the air and saying, well, you'll never learn this or whatever, trying to motivate them. How, what, what are some of your tips um, for mothers who have who've got children? children that need this motivation. Uh, Yes, and I I have an entire chapter on that in the Ultimate Guide to Homeschooling, and Mm -hmm. even in the Ultimate Homeschool Planning System, I have an article, kind of a checklist for motivating the reluctant learner. Mm -hmm. I do think we have to take the time to figure out our child's learning style, and Mm -hmm. I have a, um, a chapter on diagnosing that in my book. We have to figure out what our kids are interested in, and we use interest. We can use interest as an avenue into studying a subject where there's some resistance. We have to figure out what they're ready to learn. We, it really, God has an inner timetable for our kids, Vivian, and the way that schools put kids on this external timetable and everybody's in lockstep, it's so counter to what we know about child development. So most of my material, I'm focused on helping parents to become educational psychologists, you know, laymen in in the way that I've been formally trained, to understand their children and how their child learns best. And you're going to figure this out through observation. And as we respond to these cues that we see uh, in our kids' areas of motivation and build a program around that, you will see that over time their interest in learning will increase. And are hardwired to learn, um, as as we know, um, you know, children aren't just kind of not going to learn. They're not, they're not, they just want to learn. They're curious. You can see it from, from a very, very young age. And this is, um, a God given, um, quality in them. So, um, you know, we're there to sort of, as you say, find their best way of learning and find what interests them and, and helps them and help them understand that some of the things that might not interest them are, you know, sort of necessary if they want to go on and do certain things in their lives. Yes, and I, I think that is true. We are hardwired. We're learning all the time. And I, I do think if we look for God's intention in these areas where, you know, we feel like kids need to learn this stuff, we have to give our kids compelling reasons for why math is important, why science is important, why uh, studying literature and the arts is important. And I think we ourselves, if we learn alongside with them, our own interest and enjoyment and pleasure in that 
area will increase, and that's a big part of motivating our children. We need to model what lifelong learning should look like and taking pleasure um, in intellectual pursuits. I mean, in the United States, we don't have any problem venerating athletic pursuits. I think we need to also see that intellectual pursuits um, has has its own rewards, and it's uh, God-given. I mean, God made us intelligent, reasoning human beings. That's a talent that we need to steward. Well, and you're a perfect example. You've spent, you've spent so many years homeschooling, and now when you, when you had the opportunity, you went back to school, which I think is absolutely fantastic. What was it like? You know what? It was very frightening, uh, and it was scary. I didn't know if I, how I would be treated because I'm older. Uh, I didn't know if I could do it. Uh, it's been extraordinarily rewarding. Uh, first of all, I'm not really unusual. There's a lot of women in particular uh, going back to school in their 50s, and there's mm-hmm. a lot more people finishing degrees later in life. I mean, we live so much longer. People are having second careers, so um, that was surprising. And I've had wonderful support. I've had wonderful support, and people have taken a genuine interest in my experience. I think the academic community has recognized that homeschooling is not going to go away and it's a important social phenomenon and so um, they've really been very keen on my study and wanting to see what I find and wanting to help me because um, they're anxious for there to be groundbreaking work in terms of academia um, having access to the community. I mean we have to be willing to um, open up and share our stories with academia, not just people like me who did homeschool, but other researchers who are sincerely interested in finding out more about uh, what we're doing and how it works. Um, and yeah, I say I'm the perpetual homeschooler. I was really homeschooling myself, and yes. I've just kept going here. Uh, I'm grateful my four kids have all been uh, continued to be lifelong learners and take a lot of pleasure out of their own academic pursuits. Well, you're doing a fabulous job, Deborah. We're going on another break. And um, if you don't mind, we can come back for about another five minutes and you can give us a little bit of a a plug on um, where we can find um, your books and um, any other websites that you think might be interesting. So um, Deborah and I will be back in about 90 seconds after this uh, short break. So stay tuned, please. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. 
Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on DougieNet.com. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism. The historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years? How can we hold on to what we hold dear? And the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Okay, Deborah. before I let you absolutely go, um, you mentioned something about teaching online classes. You teach um, AP English composition, yes? Uh, yes, I do. Hello. And, uh, and I offer... Go ahead. We offer uh, a whole array of high school level college prep courses through my website, DebraBell.com. Okay. And, and so some, anybody can get on and... Um, have a look and, and kind of browse through your website and, and apply to become one of your students. Is that how that works? Yes. Our uh, classes yes. are well underway this year. So the 2012-2013 course selection will be up uh, later this fall. But what I'm offering, in addition to the resources that I'm developing, Vivian, for Apologia, and I have um, a lot of products coming out from them um, over the next few years. Uh, in addition to that, I have launched AIM Academy, which is uh, a college prep online uh, consortium of classes for homeschool students in particular who want to convert their high school work to college credit through okay. equivalency exam testing mm -hmm. such as CLEP and AP. Mm -hmm. um, and so okay. we've had a very That's... strong response, and we're very excited about that, and we have coursework that begins as early as seventh grade to get kids ready for, uh, you know, by the end of high school. You can take these equivalency exams like my kids did, uh, and you can earn college credit at a fraction of the cost of what it mm -hmm. would cost you to pay for those college credits. Mm-hmm. And you can do all this online. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fabulous. And um, obviously, you know, all across the country. So your students are from all over the place. So really interesting for you, I would imagine. Yes, and internationally too, as well. Really? Um, I, I definitely, we definitely have students overseas. A lot of expats living overseas, like yourself. 
um, mm-hmm. who in particular want their uh, children to come back to college in the United States or want to prepare their uh, children for application to college in mm-hmm. the United States. And so mm-hmm. um, our courses have attracted a, a strong international component. And I think it's a, a marvelous experience for these kids. I mean, my own children really didn't have – it wasn't as robust as it is now. They didn't have this diversity, and the students mm-hmm. in my classes that I'm teaching now are very fascinating, all Mm -hmm. living very unique, um, non-conventional lives, which make Mm -hmm. them intellectually just so interesting to work with. And so this is your own business. You don't do it alongside another large company. Uh, no, I've I've been an entrepreneur since I started yeah. homeschooling in 1988. Yeah. So this is uh, mm-hmm. all of these resources are available for DebraBell.com. I mean, yeah. the truth is, after I finished homeschooling, I took a year to figure out what do I want to do mm-hmm. with my life, and I need to be working full time. And I realized I, I missed homeschool community. I missed my girlfriends who are now. T- homeschooling and too busy to hang out with me. I missed their kids. I love teaching homeschooled kids. Um, So basically, I uh, went back to school to get better trained to really try to serve the homeschool community in a way that anticipates our future and Mm -hmm. and also... um, was wonderfully I uh, was wonderfully blessed to have Apologia come and find me. They pursued me, gave me this marvelous opportunity to develop products for them. So I've always wanted to develop curriculum based on my own homeschooling experiences. So that's what I'm doing now is writing curriculum and books for them. And then I started teaching online about 10 years ago and fell in love with it. I never thought mm-hmm. I would and and now mm-hmm. um other homeschool parents uh with expertise have joined me to offer more classes online. And where do we go to find your ultimate books? Um, You can most easily uh, order them directly from Apologia or Christian book distributors. I mean, Amazon, my books are widely available. The Planner, the Mom's Planner, has had fantastic sales. It's only been out a month, uh, and that's Mm -hmm. widely available now. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me this afternoon or this morning for you. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you very much, Vivian. I, I do and, enjoy doing your show. And I, I believe you have a couple of seminars coming up in October, so I hope you have a nice, quiet weekend this weekend and um, can prepare adequately for those. Yes, thank you. I have five weekends in a row here uh, that I'll be traveling, but I love to travel, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. I like getting out, and because uh, I'm quite the empty nester here. It's just me and my yeah. two cats during the day, so right. I'm looking right. forward to getting out and seeing some people. Interacting with some people, yeah. yeah. Well, I've been talking to Deborah Bell, who's a returning guest to my show, having been one of my first visitors way back in 2010, and we talked about teen homeschoolers and homeschooling online and how it's changed over the years. And um, you will know Deborah as author of those ultimate books and um, go to Apologia and um, buy The Ultimate Guide to Homeschooling or Homeschooling Teens or The Ultimate Planning System. And her website is www.debrabell.com. And um, on there you can find all kinds of um, help with uh, distance learning and um, dual qualification uh, credits, dual credits to get into college and um 
just all kinds of fantastic stuff that Deborah does for the homeschooling community. Thank you so much, Deborah, and um, you have a really blessed weekend. You too, and to your listeners as well. Thank you, Vivian. Thank you so much, Deborah. Bye. Bye. Well, although I may not have had to do any ironing when I was growing up, there was something I had to do when I was a teen which grew into something I chose to do when I grow up. So here's a little bit of a, a memoir. When I was at boarding school, my lifeline to the outside world was receipt of the humble letter. These sanity checks were written to me regularly by family members and eventually by friends. I lived for the 11 o'clock visits by the postman to the kitchen door where he handed over a pile of brightly colored envelopes from far off shores or even close by counties with paper messengers of news safely tucked inside. The brilliant envelopes once handed out to their addressees would be taken somewhere private to be carefully opened, revealing a dazzling, dazzling piece of basil and bond nestling between its tissue lining in the envelope. Handwritten notes would be greedily read by grateful at times teary eyes and then returned to their nest to be reread or shared later. I kept some of my letters for 20 years. Don't ask what possessed me to finally rid my keepsake boxes of their precious cargo. But I wasn't alone in my cleansing. No one kept the letters I wrote to them either. Anyway, the postman would empty his leather bag of the spring flower collection of letters with their magical assortment of collectible and tradable postage stamps and hand them to one of the potato-peeling nuns who had the letters sorted and laid out alphabetically on the postman's table in the kitchen corridor in the blink of an eye. She was one of the good sort, a below-stairs girl who knew the uplifting value of news from home. Our mid-morning break time would coincide with the letter delivery. I've talked to you about 11Zs, and I was an avid fan of the table because I usually received at least a letter a day. I worked hard for my daily letters. On Saturday afternoons, official letter-writing time, I'd write by hand eight or nine missives in the hope of prompt replies. I'm reminded that C.S. Lewis would sit down each morning and answer his correspondence. I didn't have the luxury of daily letter writing. My hand had to grow accustomed to the cramping brought on by the hours of writing I had to do if I was to be a frequent letter recipient. My parents saved a couple of my letters, which served to prove my diligence. Um, the letters weren't short either, running from 12 to 15 tissue-thin airmail pages and full of such mundane happenings throughout the week as walking three abreast on our afternoon strolling crocodile or runs in my stockings. In turn, my parents each wrote a weekly letter, typed on the typewriter I still have in one of the wardrobes here. My paternal grandmother would always be counted on for a weekly note, so too could a great aunt, a couple of cousins, if they had time in their busy social lives when they weren't at school. My brother, of course. We wrote to each other consistently for 12 years. And my friends, including boys as I got older, whom I could ensnare into my written communication scheme. I even participated in chain letters to increase my volume, which it did. No Facebook or texting or even phone thrust, just plain old letter writing um, to keep up with what was going on on the outside. Honestly, the young generation of today is missing out. My daughter still rushes to the front door when the postman delivers in the hopes that the letter her boyfriend promised a few days ago has arrived. Although they talk in various ways every day, a letter that she can hold and kiss and smell is still, dare I say it, better. Malia's written at least one a week since she's been here, more than I have. I still love it when an envelope other than a white official one plops on my doormat with my name on it. One of the young homeschoolers I interviewed last year was thrilled I was going to send him a thank you card for being on my show. He told me via email that I didn't have to, but added, I love getting real mail. So he gave me his address and commented about my note and magnet afterwards. 
Today, I'm not such a dedicated letter writer. I used to write to everyone four times a year, updates on life in the expanding McNinney household. Now I've reduced my correspondence to once a year at Christmas when everyone else writes and answers the previous year's newsy ramble, if they're that organized to have the previous year's letter in front of them while they write, which they're usually not. With these annual form letters, the conversation tends to be one-sided, rather like toddlers playing in a sandbox and conducting a parallel chat each on his own train of unrelated thought. And I was saying earlier on that um, one of my children is visiting us, our son, um, the zookeeper, and um, he's coming um, on October the 3rd, our oldest son's birthday, and he arrives actually on the 4th the next day. And I'm going to have to interrupt myself here a bit and say, if you're listening, oldest son, I'm still working the answer to your first question yesterday, what happens in exactly a week and a day? I know the answer to the second one, though. What other important event occurs exactly one week and four days from today? That's easy. Simon's coming to visit. But the first one, what does happen on September the 30th? Hmm, you've got me there. You'd better watch your doorstep on Funyuns Day is all I'm saying. And for those of you who are completely bemused, September the 30th was my oldest son's due date, and for some reason he likes to use that day as a pre-birthday celebration. Well, look at that. I've gabbled on for another whole hour, and I need to go ahead and finish until next week. Maybe this evening we'll make it to the pub, which we haven't done since Rome almost three weeks ago. On Sunday, Malia's coming home, so I'm going to bake her favorite cake and put a roast in the oven to give her something tasty to remember when she goes back to school. Um, I have some plants to put in the ground and some daffodils to place around. So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest Deborah Bell and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Sarah and many others who are part of my growing audience. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for the Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi.